0: heading to toddler nursery and children's be dismissed at this time. Those of you who will be remaining in the sanctuary, you can flip over to Psalm chapter 42. Psalm chapter 42. We're actually going to do 42 and 43 together this morning as you're turning there. Just a couple of a quick statements. One, uh, just a big thanks to the praise team for covering for TJ as he, uh, TJ and Gracie had their little one this past week. Um and so, you know, in a little time, I know. Um cute little guy. He really is. If you haven't seen him too bad for you. Um cute cute little guy. Uh but TJ TJ was funny. You know, I I I went to go see him and I was talking to him and seeing how everybody was doing and um and you know, Gracie gets to be out for a while from work and TJ gets to be out for a while from work, but he jumped in and he said Hey, listen, I'm only trying to take two weeks off from doing the music at the church. Like, he loves doing this stuff. Like, he's trying to figure out a way to get back in here. But I want to say thanks to the team for covering for him while he's out. And then they say that you should honor people publicly when they do things well. And um, And so I'm going to try to do that right now. So in my very humble opinion, Kristen Getty, who is the person who actually sings the last song that we just sang together... Is probably, in my opinion, one of the top three Christian vocalists of the past 20 years. If you've not ever listened to Kristen Getty sing, you should. It's life-altering and life-changing. She's a ridiculously great voice. Uh, Carmen, you rivaled her this morning in that song. Like, really, you did. It was incredible. It's incredible. So, you know, usually we have a guy sing that song, and so I don't have to make a comparison. You know, it's like... It's just not going to be as good when a guy sings that song. You know, just deal with that, you know. And then I was like, oh, Carmen's going to sing it this morning. Oh, wow, Carmen is singing it well. And she led us well, and it was great. And I appreciate the help that they had with us this morning. So this morning, some of you who've been with us for a little while are probably wondering, okay, look, and maybe you're new. Like, you've been for us for a little while, but you're new-ish. And you're like, okay. I know that Sylvania is like an expositional preaching place. And I know they go through whole books and they go through whole chapters and they go verse by verse and they don't skip anything. And we were just in Leviticus and now we're jumping into like the first third of the Psalms, Psalm 42. Like that's really random. Why are we doing that? And this is also as a reminder for some of you who've been here for a long time and have forgotten what we were doing. Um, so before Leviticus... I started preaching through the Psalms. And I made a promise to you as a congregation that I would not make you endure. 150 straight weeks or more, depending on what I do at Psalm 119 of Psalms. Um, and, and because I know that, that, that even though it's the word of God and it's a blessing and everybody, you, you can be moved by the word of God. poetry's not everybody's vibe. And that's what Psalms are. They're Poetry. And so I said, OK, Psalms are naturally broken into five separate books of Psalms. OK, so up through chapter 41 is the first book of Psalms. So I did the first book of Psalms and we took a break and did something else. And that something else was Leviticus. Wow. Right. Right. You know, we we upgrade. And um, and so now Leviticus is done so we're in the second book of psalms so it starts in chapter 42 runs through chapter 72 and chapters 42 and 43 technically are one psalm we divide them into two psalms in our english bible but in most hebrew texts the latin vulgate septuagint it's viewed as one psalm you'll see why here in a minute so I, i wanted to bring those together now i don't usually get a chance to 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 do this because it's just usually not fitting. But I want to take a second as we start back into the Psalms. Because we'll be in the Psalms for a a good close to 30 weeks this time. Um, So I, I am not by training an Old Testament scholar. So when we went through Leviticus this last time. It was just as stretching for me as it was for you. Because it was more. Of reminding me study. Because it's not stuff that's just second hand to me. I prefer to hang out in the New Testament. That's where I have a little bit more training. And I really prefer to step into church history after the close of the New Testament. Because that's where I have all of my training. Um, But if I'm going to step into the Old Testament. I love. I know not everybody feels this way about the Psalms. I love being in the Psalms. I probably, and my wife can attest to this because she knows that I'm kind of a... I know this is going to sound really weird to people who know me well. And you're going to be like, wow, that just doesn't seem to fit with your personality and your vibe. I'm a poetry guy. I like poetry. A big fan of poetry. I just am. I just always have been. I just... I like it when people can turn phrases and, you know, use metaphor and allegory and do all kinds of stuff and and make it rhythmic. I just... I'm a really big fan of that. Always have been. Probably always will be. And... Personally in my own life, even though it's not a field of expertise, it's not a field of formal study, I have probably personally spent more personal time in my life in the Psalms than any other book in the Bible. It's just where I like to go. I like to pray through them. I like to read through them. I like to try to memorize some of them. I've spent more time memorizing Psalms than any other book of the Bible. I just love the Psalms. And so when we come into this series, like every, we take, we come into it, we take a break, we come into it, we take a break. I'm always excited about getting back into this book. Because this this is this is a big statement for a guy who's a church history guy, a New Testament guy uh, from a reformed tradition at a openly Calvinistic Southern Baptist church for me to say out loud, my favorite book of the Bible is the Psalms. It just is. It has everything in there. It has the gospel in there, of course, because Jesus is in every Psalm. It talks about deep theology of God and His greatness and His sovereignty and His glory and His creative power and His work in the world. It talks about real human emotion and how we process through things in life. There are times when the the different writers of the different Psalms are shaking their fist at heaven, openly angry with God. Which... You can try to play off like that's never happened to you. If it's not ever really happened to you, it will. If it doesn't, you have lived the most charmed life of any human who's ever lived on earth. Say, Philip, you're a preacher in a pulpit on a Sunday morning talking about how people get angry with God. Yeah, there's going to be times in your life where stuff in, stuff happens and you're going to be angry with God. And that happens in the Psalms. There's going to be times in your life where you are despairing and you're depressed and you're anxious and you're afraid. And that happens in the Psalms. There's going to be times in your life where you're so overjoyed you can't help but break out in song even if you don't like to sing. And that happens in the Psalms. There's going to be times in your life where you are so confident and so sure of God's victory on your behalf that you can't help but to declare to everyone the great might and power of God and how he does wonderful things in your life. And that happens In the Psalms, you're going to meet with tragedy and you're going to meet with death and you're going to meet with life. You're going to meet with every aspect of human existence. And in every book of the Psalms, books one through five, it happens in them and it gives us a fully orbed picture of the human experience with the divine. That's why I love this book so much is because you can go through the whole thing and not miss Any human experience as it relates to the glory of who God is. And so I hope that while we take this next several months together, going through the second book of the Psalms, that we can kind of go on that journey with each other and see the greatness of God in the midst of our human experiences. So beginning here in Psalm 42, let's read together. Psalm 42, for the choir director, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and the thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair? O oh my soul. And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh, my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from the peaks of Hermon, from Mount Misra. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Verse 1 of 43 Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to the dwelling places. And to your dwelling places, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And upon the leer, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for its transformative power. And today, as we explore this psalm, this notion of Jesus being our hope and our help, may we connect with the glory of Christ in the most trying and stress-filled moments of life. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to point out the connection of these two psalms. There's a reason why we're doing both of these psalms together, and it's because historically they are connected in many of the older Hebrew manuscripts. They are actually one psalm in most Hebrew texts. The Latin Vulgate usually views these as one psalm. The Septuagint usually views these as one psalm. It was much later that these were divided out into uh, separate psalms from one another. And what you see in these psalms, because remember, psalms are also songs. They're, they are also prayers. And so a lot of times they have a song feel to them. That's the notion of poetry, um, but with song. Um, it is for the choir director, so this was to be sung. And you see that there's a connecting refrain Uh, We might even call it a chorus or a hook, depending on which musical terminology you're wanting to use. But in 42.5, 42.11, and 43.5, there is this repeated phrase that happens. And it's essentially the same in most of your English Bibles. It's essentially the same in the Hebrew text. There's maybe... Three words difference between the the, the different verses. Uh, verse 11 of 42 and verse 5 of chapter 43 are exactly the same in the Hebrew text. And there's like a two or maybe three word, depending on how you look at the text, two or three word difference from what it says in forty-two five. But it's essentially the same and the notion is the same. And so I'll read it to you from um, 42.11 again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so this, this refrain is expressed three separate occasions across these two psalms. And it actually helps to build the progression of the song that's being sung, which is what a good chorus or a good hook or a good refrain does. And so you have some thought in the first section. And then you throw in a hook, a refrain or a chorus. You have a thought in another section You repeat that same concept, bringing it all together. Then you throw in another concept and then you close it back out with the big hook or refrain or chorus that you had before. That is not a modern invention. People have been doing music like that for a few thousand years. They really have been. And um, I used to get a little annoyed about this when I was in seminary. But I learned that there's a lot of times you just got to let stuff go. But I had one professor and he was talking to us about music and music being written. And he was bemoaning the horrors and tragedies of modern church music. Now, note, I was in seminary some odd years ago. And so whatever modern music was back then, uh, they were bemoaning modern Christian music. And you need to, like, go back to the classic hymns. And they're way better than all these songs. And he used to, uh, frustrating to me, call all the modern praise music 7-Elevens. You know that's 7-Eleven music, and so what do you mean 7-Eleven? Well, they sing seven words, and they sing it eleven times. So the same seven words, and they just keep doing it over and over again. There's no depth. There's no this. There's no that. You know. And then one day in class, we happen to be studying what the angels were singing around the throne in heaven. And it said the angels flew around the throne in glory and they sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and who is and is is to come. And it said that they sang that refrain forever. And so a snarky student who wasn't me, I was a snarky student, but I wasn't that day, raised his hand and said, sir, isn't that a 7 (laughs) Class did not go well the rest of the day and our grades (laughs) reflected. The snarkiness of the student on that occasion. But what you have is differing forms of music. You have some that is progressive with no refrain. You have some that has choruses. You have some that are repetitive. And friends, it's been like this forever. Since music. So when we get angst with each other about types of music. Let's not do that. Because there's plenty of variety even in the Psalms of the way music is structured for people to use for worship. And so we have these connecting refrains. So these two Psalms go together. Now, I want you to notice the progress that happens in this Psalms, in this Psalm, these two Psalms, according to the insertion of that refrain. It naturally breaks the song into sections. And those sections are incredibly sensible. And so this is actually where the greatest meat of the sermon comes from is letting the song do what the song does. So before you hit the first refrain in verse five of chapter 42, you have the first four verses. And those first four verses are about longing. Have you ever just wanted something so bad That you felt like you might die if you don't get it. Now, that can be very sinful. There's lots of longings that we have in our lives that we feel like are going to wreck our lives if we don't get them. And there's no redemptive value to that longing whatsoever. We're just being wicked people and we need to repent. But there are things in life that we should long for. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Hey, by the way, hunger and thirst, something you can die from. You don't eat, you'll starve to death. Sooner than that, if you don't drink, you'll die of thirst. And so Jesus uses this longing language in the New Testament of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Notice what the the sons of Korah here as our psalmist say. And just as an aside, the sons of Korah may not have written this. It says it's for the sons of Korah to perform. They may not have been the ones who wrote it. As the deer pants for the water brooks. You see a wild animal out, it's hot outside, they've been running, maybe they've been running away from a predator, maybe they've escaped a hunter, maybe they've escaped a trap. They're running and now they hit a point of exhaustion and they need something to drink. Maybe you've done that before in your own life where you've so physically exerted yourself, you start to feel the dehydration setting in. You know you have to get something to drink. You know that you've got to have that or or things are not going to go well for you. Notice what he says here as the deer pants for the water brooks. So my soul pants for you, oh God. Do you ever long for God and his presence in this way? There's a longing that's going on here. Notice what it says, my soul, in verse 2, thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I want to be in the presence of the Most High God. I don't want to feel far away from God. I don't want to feel distant from God. I don't want to feel separated from God. I want to feel the, the relational closeness that comes with being redeemed and reconciled to the Most High God. That's what I want. And notice the pain that has come because of this. My tears have been my food day And night, remember, there's a there's a thirsting that's going on. There's a hungering that's going on. And the only thing that's satisfying the hunger and the thirst are the tears. The person's crying because of the longing that they're having. And those who are enemies of the individual, knowing that there's this longing to be in the presence of God. Yet the psalmist is not in the presence of God. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? And then the psalmist calls to mind how things used to be. These things I remember, I recall back to mind. And I pour out my soul within me how I used to go along with the throng of people. I used to lead them in procession to the house of God. I used to lead them with a voice of joy and thanksgiving. I used to lead the multitude keeping the festival. There is a longing to be with the Lord, relationally, in worship, in every aspect of life. And then we hit the refrain. And the psalmist asks a deep probing question. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? I, I like what this word means more deeply. It's a great English word, despair. But if you were to literally translate what happens here in the text, the psalmist asked this question: Why are you sunk down, O oh my soul? And if you've ever experienced any level of real despair, where you just kind of look around and you go, "There's nothing that I can do." There's nothing that anyone else can do to fix what's broken about the situation that I find myself in apart from the supernatural intervention of the work of God. And that's a place of despair, like when you recognize apart from a miracle of God, there is no hope. A great way to describe that feeling is sunk down. Such a great, great word here in the Hebrew. Sunk down. Why are you sunk down, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? And these are great probing questions. That the psalmist is asking, look, I'm longing for God. God feels far away. I remember what it was like to be close to God. I've been weeping over my longing to be with God. I feel like I'm dying of thirst because I don't have the right relationship with God that I'm supposed to have right now. Why am I in despair? Why is my soul disturbed? And then notice the transition in the refrain. Hope in God. For I shall again, that word for again, again. Is a little ambiguous. It could also be translated still, for I shall still, even though this is happening to me, I shall still praise him for the help of his presence. And then it moves to the second section. And so we see here this progression. Not only was there this deep longing, but there's a hook back to the chorus where despair fully sets in in the second section of the song. Oh my God. My soul is in despair within me. Now, it's the same word that's used in the refrain, that's used in the hook, that's used in the chorus. It's the same word sunk down. Oh, God, he's acknowledging what's really going on to the Lord. He's making confession. Oh, my God, my soul is sunk down within me. Therefore. I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizra. Deep calls the deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my, my rock, why have you forgotten me listen friend if you are in relationship with the Lord and you have reached a rock bottom point where your question to God is God why have you forgotten me you don't get a greater definition of the word despair than that the ever-present all-knowing sovereign God of the universe does not forget Except our sins in Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But there are relational times in our lives where we feel so overwhelmed by the circumstances of our sin and the circumstances of the world around us that we feel, though it's not true, as if God has forgotten us. And the psalmist just asked the question, he calls it out, says, God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And that's actually more active. That's more verbal than passive the way it sounds here. While the enemy keeps oppressing is a better way or the 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 um, uh, the, the the enemy oppresses. As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God. Friends, this is a place of despair that the psalmist has reached. There's a little bit of hope in there, and we'll talk about it in a minute when he talks about Mount Hermon and the waterfalls of God and the and the Jordan River and, and that sort of thing. We'll talk about we'll talk a little geography here in just a second. But there's a lot of despair here. And then, of course, it hits that refrain again, asking the introspective question, why are you sunk down? Oh, my. soul? why are you in despair? And then when we move to the last section in, ver- in chapter 43, verses 1 through 4, before the refrain hits again, we now hear hope in the voice of the psalmist. And this is why, historically, these two psalms were tied together. Because that's a horrible song if you only have the first two verses. Like, it's a train wreck of a song. It's like, why are you playing this on the radio? It's a terrible song. And you guys know what kind of songs I'm talking about. No offense to my friends at KVNE, KJLY, but every Christmas. I love listening to Christmas music Christmas time. till that dadgum Christmas shoe song comes. It's like it's a horrible song, man. It's terrible. My mom's dying and I can't afford shoes. It's like, no, nobody wants Dude, give me some jingle bells, man. That's awful. Don't play that. Do that. Now, of course, at the end of the song, the kid gets the shoes. So there's a little glimmer of hope. And that's kind of a nice deal the way that it ends. But imagine if at the end of the thing it was a little more realistic, like what probably would happen at the store. The guy would be like, dude, move out the way I'm busy. Like like that would be a terrible, like it would be a worse song. Like it's already kind of a bad song. But like if it was a more truthfully accurate song, like it would be horrible. That's how this song would be. If it stopped at the first two verses, it would be Christmas shoes minus the kid getting the shoes. Okay? Awful song. Nobody wants to sing that. Nobody wants to hear that. So we have this last section. We tie in 43 to 42. Vindicate me, O God. And plead my case against an ungodly nation. Now you can hear the level of despair that the psalmist feels. They, are, they feel like Elijah. There's nobody else but me. The whole nation. Deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and truth and let them lead me. We're going to come back to this in just a second. But that should sound very familiar to you. Being led by the light. Being led by the truth. Being led to where by the light and truth, let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling places. The very presence of God himself. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre, I shall praise you, O God, my God. And then the refrain hits again. Calling for the psalmist to hope in God. So we have this progression of longing and despair followed by hope because of God's mercy and of God's goodness. Now, I want to just draw your attention to some language that's used midway through the song. So I want you to turn back to Psalm 42 in that second stanza. Beginning around verse six. Verses six through eight is kind of the pinnacle peak of the midpoint of the song where you see this. Insertion of some very poetic language, and if we're not familiar with the language that he's using about the geography, we will miss This incredible hope and longing that simultaneously exists in this guy's life So I want you to notice the theme of of herman uh, in your text that said hebron and the uh, from herman herman to zion Notice again the flow of the psalm. There's a longing for water as the deer pants for the water. And so most of us not being incredibly familiar with the geography of, of Israel, Mount Hermon toward the north is the highest mountain peak in the nation of Israel. The, the, the mountains of Hermon where Mount uh, Mizra is located that he speaks about here in the psalm as well. At the place where Hermon is, Mount Hermon, there are two sources at Hermon that feed the Jordan River. And in the rainy seasons, there's a, 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 a reality of rain that occurs. I, I looked at a few different studies that say this mountain region in this part of Israel, can get upwards of over 60 inches of rain during the rainy seasons. And it runs down off of the mountains, creates these great, incredible um, waterfalls... That helps us swell up the natural springs that already exist there. And then causes the Jordan River to be its fullest. Which then runs down essentially through the rest of the country of Israel. And essentially this mountain range of Hermon is what feeds the water system of the whole nation of Israel. And so notice what like keep that in mind. Keep that in mind just for a second. And notice what he says here. My God, verse 6, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan. The peaks of Hermon from Mount Misra. And what happens there? Deep calls to deep. The natural springs. At the sounds of your waterfalls, where it starts to help to swell all of that. And your breakers. And your waves have rolled over me. The rushing water coming down out of that mountain range to swell up the Jordan River to give life giving quality through water to the entire nation of Israel. And notice what he says about that from that poetic metaphorical representation of God supplying water for the entire nation. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. Right in the middle of all of this song where he's experiencing the highest level of despair. He pauses and he says, I'm not in Zion right now. I'm on the whole other side of the country. I'm up in the mountains, the mount, mountain range of Herman. That's where I am right now. And even though I'm very far away from the city of promise, from the capital city, from Mount Zion, from Jerusalem, I'm very distant from there. I know that God cares for me because the rains are falling and the springs are swelling and the river is rushing. And I know that this river will make its way all the way down to give life to Zion way out there. And even though I feel far away, from the presence of God. I am incredibly close to the life-giving reality of God because God does not ever abandon his people, no matter where they are. Man, that's that's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Now, just real quick for Herman. I, I want to I just want to throw this out there. Mount Hermon, not only the highest mountain in Israel, not only. The place where there's some springs that feed the Jordan River. But it's also one of those springs is located at what we know to be uh, Caesarea Philippi. Which is the place where Peter made his confession of who Christ is. It was done here. In this mountain range that the psalmist is talking about. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say that you were. One of the prophets. who do you say that I am here at this place? This is where that took place. Well, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. We can't be sure. So this is a educated opinion, as the scholars like to say. Can't be 100% sure. But Herman Gets the most votes from scholars who've really studied it and really looked at it as the likely site of the transfiguration. This is probably where Jesus displayed himself as the God man. And where God's voice itself spoke to those few disciples that were there with him on the top of the mountain. So you have Peter making his great confession likely at this site. Jesus demonstrating his full glory as the God man at this site. This is the place that historically kept the nation of Israel alive because it watered the entire nation and gave them life through the Jordan River. And the psalmist says, I'm not in Zion. And if you turn to the third refrain. In 43, notice what he wants to do in verse three, 43, three, send your light. And your truth. Let them lead me. Let them lead him where? To your holy hill. What's the holy hill? Zion. That's where I want to be. But here I am right on the border of the enemy's land. About as far away from you as I can get. But even though I'm as far away from you as I can get from the holy place that I know I should be. You are still with me anyway. Man, it's beautiful, like it's beautiful the way that this is structured. The author is delighted to be cared for by God, but longs to be in the capital of the land of promise. Friends, you can have that happen to you in your life. You can be on the point of despair. I am not at the central place of worship. Leading people in the songs like I did before. I am distant from the area of celebration. You, you can have that despair and simultaneously have hope in God's goodness that He's caring for you anyway. It, both can't actually go on at the same time. And in fact, I would contend that in the Christian's life who is truly walking with the Lord, who is truly maturing in Christ, Both will happen at the same time a lot. Where you'll just be completely transparent and honest with God. God, I feel like you've forgotten me. I feel like you're far away from me. I feel like you don't see what's going on in my life. But I know that's not true. And I know you're right here caring for me. And so as we get ready to close, I want to tie all of this together. And I want us to see Jesus as our hope and as our help I want you to consider the refrain. Let's read it one more time. I'm here turn to Psalm forty three, so I'll just read it from verse five of Psalm forty three. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. I mean that we could we could have spent a long time. We could have spent a long time right there. Of course, that notion of hope is the classic Hebrew concept of waiting, resting in, being satisfied with, being settled in hope in God. For I shall again or still or yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. Friends, this refrain is a gospel declaration This refrain that gets repeated three times in the song across these two chapters is a gospel declaration. Take a look. The distress of the soul is ravaged by internal doubts and external opposition. Friends, if if that's not the state of the soul without Jesus Christ, I don't know what else describes it. The distress of the soul is ravaged by internal doubts and external opposition. Opposition, where can that soul find hope? It can only find hope in the Lord. It's the only way it's a gospel declaration. And I want you to notice in the hope section here in chapter 43. Notice again, and I told you we'd come back to it as we get ready to close this morning in verse three. Oh, send out your light. And your truth. And let them lead me. Let them bring me. To your holy hill. To your dwelling places. Let's just run through it really quickly. In the New Testament. What or better who. Is the light of God. Jesus. He says that about himself. In multiple places, he says that about himself. In the New Testament, what or better who is the light? I mean, the truth of God. Jesus, please don't be hesitant. You will pass this quiz. It is church. If you say Jesus, you will at least get partial credit. The light of God is Jesus. The truth of God is Jesus. And what is it that Jesus does? Notice notice this next part. It says, send out your light. Now notice that language of sending. What did Jesus do in his incarnation? He did what? He came to this realm. Who sent him here? The Father sent the Son. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. Send forth your light And your truth. psalmist had no idea under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was calling for the incarnation of Jesus Christ to come. And what do we want the incarnation of Jesus Christ to do? Lead me. And what does Jesus do? He is our good what? Shepherd. And the good shepherd knows his sheep. And he calls them by name. And he leads them to pastures. That's what he does. leads them to safety. He takes care of them. And where does He lead them? Notice what it says here. Let them, let your light and let your truth, let them bring me where? To your holy hill. I cannot enter into the presence of God in Zion, in that true heavenly promised land, if I do not enter in through the light and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an incredible declaration of the glory of Jesus at the peak of hope in this song. And it is fantastic. And what's he going to do once the light of God brings him, leads him to the holy presence of God himself in redemption and deliverance and reconciliation? What's the response of the one that has been led in this way, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And when I'm there at that place of worship upon the lear, I shall praise you, O God, my God. Friends, the, the proper response to the one who has acknowledged that Christ is the light and the truth of God that leads us to the presence of the Lord in redemption is worship. Thank you, God, that you have saved me from my great despair. Jesus Christ, our hope, our help. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this powerful word of truth. About the glory of Christ and his deliverance for us. Father, thank you for the honesty and the transparency and the vulnerability of the psalmist, showing to us, declaring to us that it is okay to admit out loud our struggles and our fears and our anxieties and our despair and our hurts and our worries. Our spiritual distance. Father, thank you, though, that you are God from Herman watering the whole valley. Loving us even when we don't feel as if we are in your presence in the land, of, in the capital of the land of promise, when we're on a different mountain besides Zion. Father, thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have light and we have truth and we have leading and we have deliverance that leads us to worship. Father, forgive us when we only express one side of the equation, when we only express our despair and we do not call back to mind that you are a God full of mercy and compassion. Father, let us hope in you and again praise you because you are the help of our countenance and you are our God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand and sing a song.